Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, men and women, non-conformers and non-believers, gender X and gender equals, welcome to Eat the Storms, the poetry podcast. My name is Damien B. Donnelly and thank you so much for joining us here today for the final episode of season three. I still cannot quite believe that we've completed three seasons so far, which means that we've made a total of 45 episodes of this poetry podcast that I wasn't sure would even make it past four or five episodes. This somehow means also that we've been gifted with over 200 poets who have joined me on this podcast since it began way back in July 2020, when the world had stopped moving and we were looking for new ways to connect. Well, here we are over a year later and definitely bloody well connected. So thank you to all of my guests who have joined the show and a huge thank you to you, the listeners who have tuned in. Whether you joined us on Spotify, Apple, Anchor, Google, Breaker, Podbean, Player FM, Overcast, Pocketcast, iTunes, Castbox or many more platforms. Today I am delighted to say that yet again we have five more diverse voices to entertain you for the next hour. We will be touching down in Galway, Manchester, New Orleans, Manitoba, Dorset and of course me here on the edge of Dublin. This is Eat the Storms and I hope you enjoy the show. We took the train one day. A Sunday that a photograph suggests was set in summer to walk along the shore. I remember how the wind wound whimsically round the exoticness of our youth as we smiled at wave, crashing currents against numbed coasts. While we edged our way out to those tides coming in, pulling us from the laughter we'd not yet learned to control, carrying it on to places we hadn't yet learned to imagine. Each of us an island, yet to pin a point on the map. Three cousins coming closer to the shore of those decisions and a mother watching, watching us laughing, learning, growing, swimming and moving out. I recently had the privilege to hear and see my first guest reading her poetry while hosting the Cheltenham Poetry Festival last month and I'm delighted that she's with us today for her first visit to Eat the Storms. A retired school teacher, born in the Middle East and now living in Dorset, she is soon to be published by my publisher, The Hedgehog Poetry Press, with her debut collection, Landscape with Birds. She's had work published in multiple journals, including Sledgehammer, the Cabinet of Heed, 192 and Baron Magazine's third issue, which coincidentally was the issue that also published one of my poems. Soon to be appearing in Poetry Bus, Dawn Trader and Obsessed with Pipework, I could not be more pleased to hand you over to the wonderful Beth Brooke. Hi everybody and thanks very much to Damien for asking me to take part in his splendid podcast. I'm going to read uh, Four poems from my collection that Hedgehog are producing in 2022 called Landscape with Birds and one from a project that I've got on the go, if that's okay. The good thing about my poems is they are all short. Ah, So this poem is called We Take Our Son to University. 
You can also find it in the anthology Secret Chord, uh, which was produced by Folklore Publishing because it was placed in a competition that they ran. We take our son to university. Inside the car, we feel the rhythm of the road. The keening of the wheels plays upon the skin. Outside, the morning is everything October can be. A liquid brightness so clear and sharp it cuts. Its beauty pains the eyes. The sky is cloudless. Above the lines of the field, the red kite wheels, slices through the air and effortless moving away from us. The road signs mark our progress, like the counting down to the moment of launch. Ten miles left, conversation stalls as the power station's cooling towers come into view, scab on the horizon of an otherwise perfect landscape. We fall to unfamiliar silence as the slip road drags us to the end point where, like the red kite, you lift off and soar away. This next one, of course, also features a bird. It's actually the first poem I ever had published in a magazine. It was published by Baron, um, and it's called The Geese Fly Over the Portland Road. The geese flew today, a vanguard of winter. Like a plough turning the soil, their skein furrowed the sky. Wings plunging through the air pulled up and away from me. Although the sky was still blue, still streaked with the soft orange of an early morning sun, the sight reminded me that the season of our growing together is over. And the harvest done. The next poem is called Ghosts and it recounts the uh, encounter that a friend and I had with the barn owl when we were out on a walk. Ghosts. Over the ridge and down the hill where the butter yellow scented gorse still grows, we follow a path sheep and deer have made. At the valley bottom, we walk through orchard remnants of gnarled apples to Bush's barn. Flint-walled, it bears the scars it gathered in another life. Bricks plug gaps that were once windows. The thatch is gone. Now corrugated sheets of iron form the roof, but the tap outside still offers water. Brambles trace the boundary of the kitchen garden. We stand and listen, strain to catch the echoes of footsteps in the yard, the sweeping of a broom, run our hands along the fireplace lintel, peer into the ruins of the bread oven, imagine the children who waited, hungry for the loaf. Only as we turn to go do the white wings strike towards us, silent as though even the air beneath them held its breath. And this poem is about something that happened last summer. And I've called it, Some Things Take a Long Time to Die. There is a creature trapped inside my neighbour's chimney. A jackdaw, maybe. She tells me there is nothing she can do to get it out. Stove plate fused shut. I stand there in my hallway, hear its desperate scrambling, the futile fluttering of wings. There is nothing I can do but listen. I long for it to give up the struggle, but the days pass and the intermittent noises tell me it's alive. I hate to think of it trapped there, in the small and sooted dark, thirsty for the sky and clean rain. So this is my last poem and it's one which is part of a, a collection I have called Composite Character. Um, currently I'm trying to find a publisher for that 
that this poem has been published. It was published in 192, so thanks very much to Colin Bancroft for doing that. Um, it's a poem that means quite a lot to me. And it was inspired by Robert McFarlane, who a couple of years ago did a thing called Word of the Day. And one particular day, the word was frail. And it was frail as a, as a noun. And it's the name, apparently, that we give to a leaf where the flesh has rotted away and only the network of veins remains. And I was really interested in that image or the image it produced for me. And I wrote this poem. And it's about my mother. Leaf Skeleton. Aged 94, my mother has become a frail. Her skin, thinned to the point of disintegration, reveals the map of her veins, the network of capillary threads that keep her whole. Her bones have become chalk, a fragile skeleton, Delicate as the leaves that lie on the brink of becoming earth. Frail, gently, carefully, I explore the word. Frail. My mother has become a frail. Thank you very much. For my next guest on Neat the Storms today, I am delighted to take a trip across the Atlantic Ocean to Manitoba in Canada for this Best of the Net nominee. Currently, he has two chapbooks to his name, Winnipeg Vacation and The Loneliest Age, both of which are currently available on Amazon. Next year, his third chapbook, The Kind of Noise Worth Writing Down, will be published by Kelsley Books. Today he is joining us to talk about his love of poetry, how he writes and why he writes, while also sharing some poems with us. This is Richard Ledoux. Hello, my name is Richard Ledoux and uh, I'm a poet and uh, I'm going to talk about, a bit about poetry and uh, some of my poems. And uh, I think a good place to start would be to talk about why, why did I start writing poetry and uh, when did I start writing poetry. I actually began writing poetry when I was in high school. And I remember being so impressed when I was a student uh, with how much meaning and emotion could be crammed into some words on a page, basically. I mean, we had done novel studies and you'd go through two or three hundred pages of novel and yeah, there was a lot, of, a lot there, a lot of meaning, a lot of uh, emotion. But it always floored me how a poem that was like half a page long sometimes could be just as emotional or uh, invoke just as much of a response. I always thought that was quite brilliant, actually. And that's basically what attracted me to poetry. In uh, high school, we actually uh, spent time covering poets, like uh, the romantic poets, like Blake and uh, Wordsworth. I believe we spent some time on the Victorian poets. Um, the Romantics made more of an impact on me at the time than the Victorians. Uh, I remember quite liking uh, the two different versions of The Chimney Sweeper by Blake, and I actually rediscovered William Blake in university when I did, uh, did an entire course on Romantic poetry. And uh, I've always thought Blake was right on as a poet. Um, so this naturally led to me wanting to write my own poetry, and I basically started when I was in high school. and. Uh, I ended up uh, sending poems off to a place called Poetry.com and they were a bit of a scam because what they would do, they would tell you that they were going to put you in an anthology but they wanted you to order X number of copies of the anthology. So basically it was just a way to sell books and it was more or less a glorified uh, vanity press because they only put you in there if you agreed to buy so many copies of the book. Um, in university, I kept writing. I got actually very fixated in university on focusing on form. wrote a lot of sonnets. I uh, wrote a lot of rhyming couplets. And what I found was um, now I absolutely cannot write like that anymore. I, find, I found that I wrote so much like that for about three or four years 
that now I need to be in free verse because I find form very uh, restrictive. And I find that I'm more very much in love with uh, writing in free verse or free, free form. In university, I actually started to send my poems out to real publications. Um, I'm Canadian, so these, these are some of the bigger ones in Canada, like uh, places like uh, the Dalhousie Review, the Queen's Quarterly, um, the Annie Kanish Review. These are some of the bigger ones. Fiddlehead out of New Brunswick there. Um, and I got basically just a bunch of rejections back. But I, I kept going with it. Uh, when I finished university, I kind of strayed away from poetry for a while. Uh, I got focused on life, finding a job, got married. Um, then probably about, probably about four years ago or so, I got back into writing poetry and reading poetry a lot more than I ever had during my adult life. And I think, again, it's just that, 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 that ability for a poem to say so much with so little, it still, still impresses me, still keeps me wanting to be part of that. Um, and to be honest, I turned 40 about a month ago now, and um, as I get older, I'm starting to realize the, uh, the importance of poetry in terms of uh, dealing with aging and dealing with uh, getting closer to the end of one's life. So I'm going to read one of my poems now. This is called The Closest I'll Get to an Afterlife. This was published on a website called Mad Swirl. And here we go. He lived in a morgue that was renovated into a house. An old friend of mine I, had, I haven't seen in years. And the spirits would come out at night, poking you in your sleep, or so I was told, because I'm yet to meet a ghost who wasn't still alive. And this is actually based on a true story. I had a friend that I knew in university who uh, lived in this giant house. And it turns out the house was the morgue for the city about 100 years before that. And another friend of mine that I, again, haven't seen since university, uh, used to talk about how he could see ghosts and how he had this extra sense of being able to sense spirits. And he actually did talk about how when he slept over there a couple times, the ghosts would basically try to keep him awake and poke at him and bug him through the night. Uh, this is one of those poems that I think... Uh, also deals with how you change as you get older and uh, like that concept of you know as we get older sometimes we we might still technically be alive a part we let parts of ourselves die and that's always quite tragic I'm gonna read another poem here now this is called a blank page until midnight this is published in October Hill magazine Days feel trapped on plastic forks as you wonder why no one notices how fake your laughter has become or how you save your voice for a blank page at midnight, all because there's nothing else left to say after thanking them for another birthday cake that isn't yours, only to remember a failed surprise party before you even met them where the awkward silence between friends, old ones you haven't seen in years, and family seemed to whisper more wisdom about death than any candle blown out to great applause. And this one, this poem, kind of deals with the idea of, again, that, that mundaneness that comes with life. It's, it's so easy, in my opinion, to slip into the mundaneness of life, especially as you get older. And I think, again, that's part of what attracted me back to poetry. Poetry, to me, is a way to kind of keep life interesting, to keep, uh, to keep yourself from slipping into that mundaneness. The thing is, it, 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 what is there for us other than to try to find something that gives our life a little bit of meaning? And that's different for everybody. And for me, one of those things is writing poetry and reading poetry and thinking about poetry. To me, I think poetry is quite important. I, I understand for some people, they, poetry isn't their thing and they got some other things they focus on. But I, like I say, in poetry to me, poetry doesn't require a great commitment. You can read a poem in 30 seconds. You can reread a poem several times in a few minutes. And... Some poems are worth that. They're worth that extra effort of going over five or six times because there's things there that, that well, that, for lack of a better expression, poems often encapsulate the human condition perfectly. I'm going to read one more poem. This is called Enlisted at 14. This was published in Sludge, Sledgehammer uh, Literary Magazine. That's an online uh, poetry publication. And here we go. 
Henry was the tall one and Tommy the short one. They used to play box they used to play box with each other when off duty until one day a sniper shot Henry and the blood on Tommy told him the game was over. Later in the night, that same sniper ate a chocolate bar, assured that the moonlight shone only on his country, while Tommy struggled to hold his cigarette still, signaling to the ghosts of his future. Again, another poem that deals with uh, with death, another poem that deals with ghosts. This is actually based on a true story. My grandfather actually did enlist at 14 to go fight in the Second World War, and he did actually have this happen to him that a friend of his uh, was shot by a sniper as they were play boxing one day during the war uh, when they were off duty. And um, my, my grandfather's experience in the war actually have always kind of fascinated me, especially from the perspective of a writer or as a, or as a poet. Because, again, you try, part of a poet's job is to try to get inside other people's brains or minds and try to empathize and see things from other points of view. And uh, I'm sure my grandfather probably experienced things that, uh, like, again, I, I, I can try to imagine, but that probably doesn't do it justice half the time. And again, this is another poem that kind of relates the idea of, uh, of how aging is kind of a tragedy, tragedy in its own way especially for one so young as, as Tommy here in the poem, that at 14, that basically the, it's a very steep curve to growing up because of the experiences from the war. So to, to close off here, I'm getting close to my time. Um, I just like to say once again that I, I, I believe poetry is quite important and uh, I hope... Uh, Podcasts like this, I think, are a great way to spread spread the word about po poems and poetry. And I, I'm very thankful to have the opportunity to have uh, been part of this. Before I introduce the next guest, I'm going to read a poem for you that was published in Baron Magazine's third issue. As I mentioned when I introduced Beth Brook earlier in the programme, we both had poems in this third issue, and so I thought I would revisit the poem that I had in it, play with it a little bit, and this is what happened. This is called Carried Away on the Water. From Nightmare, we wake to dreams. Open eyes to reality, I fear, I fret, I freeze. I forge, I face, I forget. I love you, he says. From all the pages of all the books she reads, From the shadows of the window. Alone, alive, everything. Only enough. We strive to be older while younger and perish ever after in the absence of that youth. I want, I wish, I will, I wasted what was while I withered. We hoard hollow after every death. And hurl no vacancy signs up from the void to light. Too soon, too early, too busy, too far, too late. He kisses her lips. Only in the darkness to remember the light of the last. I like. I lust, I love, I lost, I like, I love, I lust, I linger in the longing. I walk out onto the water, and the reflection that rises from the surface is the face of a shadow now drowned. A reflection of what once was, a skin long since shed, a kiss long since settled, a curiosity quieted, a loss let go of, a fear long since faced, 
and folded and floated away to wherever the river runs to after it washes towards me, through me, past me, past all that has passed on me. For our next journey on Neat the Storms today, we are heading over to the United Kingdom for a poet, author, podcast co-host and copywriter from Manchester, and also the co-host of the book review podcast series, Reading in Bed. Her books include Ghost of Me, which was a finalist in the Author Elite 2020 Awards, two full-length poetry books and several chapbooks. Previously, she's had her poetry broadcast on BBC Radio Manchester, but today she's joining us here on Eat the Storms for the first time. This is the wonderful Amanda Nicholson. Hello, I'm Amanda Nicholson. I write books under the name Amanda Steele. I'm also a copywriter, an editor and a podcast co-host, and I live in Manchester. And I'm going to read some of my poems out for you today. So this first one's called Winter Trees. Shaking snow off their branches and swaying in the wind. Almost in beat to the music below. Silent night and jingle bells. Shouts of Merry Christmas. And if you listen carefully, rustling of leaves not shedding autumn. The winter trees hold on to them, as if afraid to be stripped bare. Now they look through windows at trees glistening in tinsel and lights. Decorated in baubles and wooden soldiers. I used to be pretty too, think the winter trees. It feels so long ago now. My branches were a palette of greens and flowers in all shades of red and pink. Regret keeps them from looking closer. Until one night they notice those trees are dead. Cut down and carried home by those who wanted to capture their beauty. The dead trees shed pine needles on the carpets and the winter trees shed tears, silently grateful to be alive. This one's called Back to the Sea. This air was lured by the hypnotic song, mesmerised by a haunted beauty on the scene above sea level. This air was under the siren's control when my ship collided with the cliffs. Unable to steer, focus only on her. They say when I plunged to my death, I wasn't in my right mind. A man possessed by the call. The truth is, I was already dead. The song saved me, reminded me of who I was. Even as my body was crushed, I embraced freedom for the first time. As she looked on, distracting me from the pain encouraging me to focus on those emerald eyes. With my mind clearer than ever and my choices my own, I chose to let my soul entwine with hers. Now I'm going to read a few from my poetry collection, Pieces of Me, and this one's called Pigeonhold. You can be anything you want, they said, throwing falsehoods at her. Freedoms of youth, of a path yet unlived, not even written yet. But when she tried to follow her dreams, they said slow down. Time is on your side, and knowledge only comes with age. You'll learn. And she did learn that time is against us all. Slowing down when inspiration is fighting to move us forward can only still our dreams. She discovered the way people file you away in boxes attaching labels, insisting you can only be this or that. Pick one, you can't do everything, but why not? We are all more than one thing. Why limit ourselves if the inspiration takes hold and leads to expanding who you are? Why fight it and force yourself into a pigeonhole? You are not a pigeon. 
This one's called Free to Run. She lies still inside her own mind. Her arms are encased in Venus flytraps and her legs held down by butterfly nets. She wishes to be a spider with all those legs for moving. She remembers running, legs gliding, feet slapping the pavement. Her mind races now, not restricted by the confines of age. She remembers racing through Narnia, chasing wild fawns. Maybe it never happened that way, but it's how she chooses to remember it. The freedom was still the same. The finish line calls her home and she closes her eyes. She's back in the forest, free to run once more. And I'm going to finish with one that's a little bit more light-hearted and it's also from my collection called Pieces of Me. And this one's called My Unicorn is Tired. His horn is a little wonky, some days needing to be stuck on with glitter glue. His hoofs have seen better rainbows. Do you think it's easy to run up and down rainbows all day? And those rainbows have faded over time from sheer wear and tear. He used to shoot moonbeams from his behind. Now if I didn't know any better, I'd say he's flying on his farts. I know a unicorn is for life, and not just for whatever occasion it was, when he became my unicorn. But why does his lifespan have to be so long? It may sound cruel, but I bet you've never heard a unicorn cry, or been forced to drink its tears. They taste like gin, if you're wondering. But that's not the point. I wish I'd just got on a kitten instead. Thank you. Thank you so much, Amanda. Now, before I introduce the next guest, I would just like to give a shout out and say a huge congratulations to our former guest here on Eat the Storms, Victoria Kenefick. Victoria was with us back in Season 2, Episode 10, where she shared poems from her magnificent collection, Eat or We Both Starve. And yesterday, that collection was shortlisted for the T.S. Eliot Prize. Huge congratulations and well-deserved, Victoria. Now, back to the show. My next guest on the show today has just released his new collection, Schematics and Assemblies of the Cosmic Cart, which was recently shortlisted for the Faulkner Wisdom Poetry Prize. He was born in New Orleans, but has hitchhiked through 16 countries and 35 states, run two marathons and has a PhD from the University of Colorado and an MA from the University of Texas in Literature. He's had poetry appear in numerous journals, including Solid Quarter, Concrete Wolf, Louisiana English Journal and the Silver Queen Anthology. His first poetry chapbook, The Year of the Butterfly, was published in 2017 and he is also the author of many novels, including Hippies and Mr. Robert's Bones. Today, I am thrilled to introduce you to Gary Gautier. A brief narrative interlude. Who was I to be working on a trail? I know nothing of trails, but I do know one thing. Trees have no hearts. But there it was, a deformity, a fleshy blotch, something primeval, excessive, root and stem, something ludicrous, abhorrent, something that shouldn't be there. Raging, I tore at the thing, the thing that could not be a tree, a heart, that could only be a ghost of a thing, a word, a high-sounding phrase said and stupidly repeated. To correct it, I had no other intent. My fury opened a thin purple line, a drip, then a flow, pumping out a silk road of opulent red cambering down the broken skin of bark. It seemed a thousand years swept by, 
countless passings of moon and stars, blood and bone in their great cycle. And the thousand years filled with weird dreams of life being lived, food trucks, bookshops, and dancing under the steady moon on a small plaza up high with lights of a village below, then of doors opening downward into something bottomless deep, then closing. I grew thin, I aged as I watched the slight silky line of red, now trickling across the earth, now into the earth. Then the parched earth cracked, a pain long forgotten pushed its wobbly head through, unsure of whether to lean this way or that. I went back to my work, changed and satisfied. Apollo and Daphne, separate we sit on the stone, a lizard below flashing green and gray, the sleek soft body coiled in fear or hatred or worse. Monuments surround us. The horizon ruptures up, up it floats and hangs through the moss, mislaid dreams of a fruitful season. Our own bodies, sleek and soft and coiled. I see you now clear and separate, fading fingers, fine-strung in moss, and behind you, the radish slice moon, all beauty and light and bitter ash. In the beginning, I haven't seen you in 20 years, except in my mind's eye, the hurricane center of the hot black night when I slipped to our trip to Galveston. We drove all night, knowing already it was the end, and rode the ferry at daybreak, the sound of the sea and the sad cry of the gulls scored upon us. Then earlier, the southward journeys past rice farms, shrimping towns, the thick, humid patio nights, catching lizards and laughing. And earlier still in the beginning, when we took LSD and lay all night in a field of sugarcane, tasting the forbidden fruit, afraid, but liking it. Lost Song from Meng Zhao. Meng Zhao was a Chinese poet during the 8th century Tang Dynasty. And uh, I wrote this poem after reading some Spanish translations of his poems. I too have seen the winter stream, waves beating the swords of ice, dreamed of imperial jade, green and blue, of topaz the color of honey. Cold streams crumple the ragged banks of dreary forest. Above the stream, the swells of snow. Further still, the stars by time and distance frozen. As far away as your language from mine, as your solitude from mine. Spring comes on apace, the waves beat harder, the swords of ice break like paper branches. We turn inward, you and I, creatures of the winter, to seek someone or something approaching. Cold comfort in translation, here, the icy clarity of the mirror. Poem from Mexico. What says Quetzalcoatl? Scales of monstrous feather, turquoise green and gaudy gold, whip of a body, tongue of purple flame. He saw Huitzilopochtli when the winters came, the closing night, the sun-dimmed altar, 
tearing the heart of Copil, all to no avail. He sees the rabbit with the jaguar's wound, the serpent tooth that carries the salve. A strange pyramid of human waste, and yet a pyramid. Scatter the ashes, says Quetzalcoatl, scales of monstrous feather, turquoise green and gaudy gold, whip of a body, tongue of purple flame. Fire burns fierce in the heart of man, and woman too. Lick the flame and wish for the best, says the Dios. Expect nothing, says Quetzalcoatl, scales of monstrous feather. To the wind. Day's end. Who needs gods or heaven or moral philosophies? Your body at rest on the hammock is worth more than all the imaginary heavens of all the religions ever invented, more than all the first principles of all philosophies. All you need to do is look at it and see. If you listen closely, you can hear the birds singing. My final guest on the show today was born in Scotland to an Irish mother, spent her teenage years in Galway and most of the 1990s in North London. And if you've ever attended Galway's famed Over the Edge poetry reading by former wonderful guests Kevin Higgins and his wife Susan Miller de Mars, then you will certainly be aware of her poetry. Her debut collection, Afternoon Drinking in the Jolly Butchers, was published in 2018 by Salmon Poetry. She has appeared in the North, the Moth, Poetry Ireland Review, The Irish Times and The Shop, among others, and holds a PhD in philosophy from the National University of Ireland in Galway. Today, reading poems from that debut and some from her forthcoming collection, I give you the unwonderful Rachel Coventry. Hello, my name is Rachel Coventry. I'd like to thank Damien for asking me to read a few poems uh, for this Eat the Storms podcast. I'm going to begin by reading a couple of uh, poems from my debut collection, Afternoon Drinking in the Jolly Butchers, which was published in 2018 by Salmon Poetry. And then I'll end with three poems from my forthcoming collection, which is also from Salmon Poetry. The first poem I'm going to read is uh, called Electrification. It just uh, talks about um, the difference between my experience of growing up and my mother's experience I was always fascinated by the fact that my mother could remember them putting electricity into the area that she lived in East Galway. Electrification. My mother never saw a penguin until as a young woman she visited Edinburgh Zoo. She was astonished. By the time I was 25 there was nothing left new. Those eggs they eat in Thailand with a fully developed chicken side gave me pause for a second. But by 29, every image had already been burned into my brain. Sequences of blazing neurons, every possible combination. And though I liked the phosphorescence, even that was supplemented with those mushrooms and that Australian who came later to visit me in London. My mother remembers electrification but in 98, I brushed against heaven, and it wasn't all that. The next poem I'm going to read is also a poem from Afternoon Drinking. It's a fairly self-explanatory poem. Children of the Shadow Man. The children of the Shadow Man do not have the strength to walk slowly down the stairs and present themselves they do not have the strength to pin a flower to a dress. They only creep towards each other in the dark, only drag themselves together where no one can see. They cling with all the ferocity of the drowning, then drown in the black sea of another body. And when they look at each other, they only see themselves. If they listen, they hear echoes. They try to block them out. 
they say don't bring me down though they are already at the bottom. I'm going to read a few poems now from my uh, forthcoming collection uh, which is titled uh, The Death of an Absent Father. Uh, I've just completed a PhD in philosophy and uh, philosophy tends to seep its way into a lot of my poems. Uh, philosophy with a small p that is, uh, you know, uh, the, the ideas that I'm absorbing in my research tend to show up in the poems at some point. Uh, this next poem is a case in point. It's called First Person Shooter and it's kind of playing with the different philosophical perspectives that you know, between the analytic and the phenomenological. So in analytic philosophy, there's this idea that uh, it's a critique of it, that it starts from this kind of God's eye view outside of our experience. And whereas the phenomenology is a kind of, uh, talks about the, the, the perspective of the person looking out into the world. Uh, the, the poem is called First Person Shooter and it's also, it's uh, talking about a you know, first-person shooter in a video game. Uh, obviously, anyhow, I'll just read the poem. First-person shooter. God, a smooth-skinned boy with golden hair, alternates easily from first to third-person view, sometimes taking aim, sometimes watching himself kill. We discuss philosophy and he shoots from the hip. The bullet takes the shortest distance to my chest. I take the hit, but it does not pierce the skin. I tell him it's all a question of where you begin. He is unconvinced. He thinks me silly sitting here holding up this tea-stained mug at this old table with its bills, shopping lists and sugar spilt. He's already outside of all this. He thinks he's one, but he need be careful lest... I pull him down here with me into this mess. This next poem, uh, which is my penultimate poem, is just a, a quite a simple little love poem. Uh, it contains the idea of animism, which is just the idea that uh, inanimate objects have kind of animal souls. So, you know, before the rise of science in the 17th century it was thought that the planets were moved by some sort of animal soul uh, in this case uh, i'm ascribing a soul to the city of galway come home oh i know you won't be taken in by primitive animism but i tell you your city is miserable it lies heavy on the horizon curled around the bay like an apathetic teenager under the sky's white duvet. I know you'll say it's just my subjectivity displayed and projected onto Galway, but honestly, I've never seen the city like this. Its people are grumpy. The traffic's worse than normal. It's not me missing you, but the city, it's so maudlin. I'm going to finish with this uh, short poem about my uh, father, about going to my father's funeral. Uh, I was estranged from my father and I found out uh, during the pandemic that he had died. And I ended up flying into Edinburgh where I was born in order to go to his funeral in Dunfermline. So this is a short poem that uh, about that experience. Arthur's seat in the title is a mountain in Edinburgh, kind of small mountain in Edinburgh. Arthur's seat. After my father died, the plane I took to his funeral descended into Edinburgh. For the first time in decades, the shadow inside me lined up with the dark hill that cast it. It was like an, an epiphany or how being giddily attracted to someone makes everything fit into place, though only momentarily. Within minutes of landing, you have to figure out where you're going. Turn your phone back on. Thank you for listening to me.
As Eat the Storms, this poetry podcast has always been about connection. Today I am leaving you with three poems about family. Grandmothers, fathers and mothers. Thank you so much for listening. Additions in kitchen cupboards. She made allowances all week. Coppers here. Silver is there, precious piles of stacked change in a kitchen cupboard of frosted glass. Next to the back door they were outgrowing on Sunday evenings. After tea and thanks, and the disappearance of the tarts she started baking on Mondays. She made budgets. Who'd eat what? How much would be left over for the kids growing out from under table, starving from grass hopping and ditch threading and itching already from the bites country life had pressed upon their pretty city white skins, coming to consider colour. She made allowances for age too. Adolescents earning the silver while younger pockets filled with more coppers that added up to less. But they were too small to count things like colour, coin, the length of day, the rise of a cake, or the passing of a life you hadn't yet learned was priceless. I was twelve when I got my first note. A formerly crumpled but since repressed pound note from cupboard in that kitchen where Nana kept accounts of our growth. Tattered brown trousers. Father. Ate all the flowers in the back garden because he couldn't swallow the promise of happiness blooming within the home he couldn't find his root within. Father left all the flowers in the front garden too proud for others to see him pulling from the soil everything he needed help with but had never been thought the words for. Father liked to laugh first when others lost so that no one could hear his own loss tearing at him like weeds, twisting behind the restraints he wore like his inside-out jumpers and tattered brown trousers he thought no one could see through. Father ate all the flowers in the shadows of the back garden and then choked on the laugh. No one understood. Shades of Blue I hear you calling in shades of blue From the extremities of a distance My arms reach can never cover I hear you calling in shades of blue, your concern comes in currents across these continents. In those cold corners when I question creation and my position within it. I hear you calling in shades of blue. Only one born to know no origins can truly discern. In these days, 
that a man's ties that have not been well tethered. And finally, leaving you with the namesake of this podcast, this is Scarlet Rising. Eat the storms, mother said. Boil these beds of bitter blackness until the dream rips through the rain and translucent turns to trust. Even a diamond must ache in the darkness until compression can no longer conceal. Eat the storms, mother said. Slip out of shivering skin until touch recalls that sweet music of scarlet rising, caught below the lick of leaf, lost in that shadow of the shade. Even the petal must rise above the thorn before it can dance in the light. Eat the storms, mother said. But I didn't hear it at first. It takes time to swallow the truth and teach the tongue to taste the rain. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, men and women, non-conformers and non-believers, gender X and gender equals, we've reached the end of another episode of Eat the Storms, the poetry podcast, meaning we've also reached the end of season three. A huge thank you to all of my guests on today's show, Beth Brook, Rachel Coventry, Amanda Nicholson, Gary Gauthier and Richard Ledoux. I have been your host and producer, Damien B. Donnelly, and I'd like to say a huge thank you to all of you, the listeners who have tuned in, whether you've joined us on Spotify, Apple, Anchor, Google, Breaker, Podbean, Player FM, Radio Public, Overcast, Pocketcast, iTunes, or CastBox. For details of all of my guests on today's show, please head on over to www.eatthestorms.com. Click on the podcast section, and there you'll find a blog listing with all the episodes. This was episode 15, season 3. Now, this may be the end of season 3, but fear not, for we will be back very shortly, because on the 30th of October, get your candy, apples, face masks, and broomsticks ready, because Eat the Storms is having a special Halloween episode. Joining me for the spooky party here at Eat the Storms will be poets including Meryl D. Smith, Jane Doherty, Sarah Connor, Gaynor Kane, Matthew Hay, Arden Hunter and Jessica Drake Thomas and possibly one or two more poets making sure this episode is spooky as hell. After that of course we will be taking a break but we will be back then at the end of November with season 4 with a whole 15 more episodes including a Christmas special because last year's Christmas special episode proved to be the most popular episode in this podcast, an episode that people have tuned in to listen to all the way through the year, regardless of its Christmas theme or Christmas carols. Now, if you are a poet and would like to join Eat the Storms, then please drop me an email at eatthestorms at yahoo.com. This is the poetry platform that is for everybody, regardless of whether you have 20 collections to your name or just plenty of full-scat paper with scribbles, coffee stains and tears hidden underneath the cushion under the sofa. As I said earlier, a huge thank you to all of my guests, not just on season three, but on all three seasons all of whom have made my job of hosting and producing so much easier by simply being astounding. So, until next time, be safe, be well, get vaccinated, get those bloody scarves, woolly sweaters and fairy lights out of the corners as sun is no longer caressing and of course, as always, from me to all of you, stay bloody poetic! <laughs>